coming to you from the Woodland Baptist Ministry Center, home of the Woodland Baptist Church, on the 18th of September, 2022. The God Who Tells It Like It Is, Part 3. This message began sort of a series about two weeks ago. I shared at that time that people have a view about themselves, and it usually comes from others. It comes from maybe family members who have said things about us. It comes from friends and sometimes so-called friends. Sometimes comments have been made about us from enemies. And we've sort of absorbed that into an understanding of who we are. We talked about the dangers of that. Because, first of all, inadequate information about who we really are. And also, how selective we get about what we listen to, whether we accept certain things and reject other things. And the fact that we can just flat out be wrong about things. And so our only certain source in our first message we came to that conclusion in the message that the one who knows us best, loves us most, is our Lord Jesus Christ, and he always tells us the truth. So beginning at that point, last week we looked into the way I was, and this is from my perspective as a believer. What did God have to say about my condition and who I was? And in, if you have your notes, you see that at the top there, I gave you a summary of the points that we brought out last week. I owed my very existence to God who created me. It wasn't that I came about by chance, but God created me individually, uniquely. But I also inherited a sin nature from Adam. And with that, the consequences, I stood guilty before God. And I have no defense for my standing. And all I was doing was awaiting final punishment in the lake of fire. Last week, kind of depressing news. But we ended up on a good note saying God's intention was never to leave us in that condition. And so this week, my apology goes in a different direction. I apologize a little bit for tough news last week. This week, I apologize because I have to abbreviate the good news. Put in your notes, I was this way, and then Jesus. When Jesus revealed who he was to me, and revealed my sinful nature and my lost condition, he also revealed the plans that he had for me by way of purchasing my salvation on the cross 
and then making it available through faith in him. And I was given new life. So I'm going to point out a few points about the way I am now from God's perspective. And hopefully you can glean some goodness out of all this. Like I say, my apologies is to take such a huge amount of good information in God's word and try and boil it down to one message. My wife said, uh, well, it's a good thing that we have share a dish and you guys will just have to hang around and while you're eating, I can finish up my message. <clears throat> but we won't do that. We're not going to give you a break to go to the meal until I'm done. So that may not be good news. Anyway. So I want to bring out some points. And I, like I say, it was tough for me to try and condense this good news down into a couple of points. But I tried to do that for you to have a handle on what God says about believers who have put their trust in him. So my first point is this. While I owed my very existence to God who created me, I inherited a sin nature, I stood guilty before God, I had no defense, I was awaiting final punishment. My first point is this. I owe my salvation entirely to Jesus. My deliverance from that description of last week, standing condemned before God, standing before the righteous judge who is going to uh, evaluate my life, the good news is that Jesus Christ made a provision on the cross and my salvation entirely was owed to Jesus. So a couple, point, couple points under some of these, but this point is this. I was spiritually dead in trespasses and sin, but now I'm alive in Christ. And there carries a lot of ramifications there, but I want to share a couple passages here. And I, I apologize for the fact that we're going to several passages here. But if you just want to camp out in one, camp out in the one that Tom read for us in Ephesians, the first chapter, where he goes down through uh, that litany about who we are in Christ. In Colossians, Paul writing to the church there says, you who are dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive with him having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling out the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, he thus set aside nailing it to the cross. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, we said, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I wish we had time to 
explore this this point in more depth, but basically I was sold in the slave market of sin and he redeemed me out of it. I was dead and now am alive. I was in bondage and now I'm set free. I mean, we could go right on down through the list of all these things that are true about us because of so great a salvation worked out by Jesus. The second point, I have a new relationship with the triune God. A new relationship with the triune God. My pause is is not because I, I don't have anything to say. My my pause is because I have too much to say. (laughs) So the first point is, by nature, I was a child of wrath, standing uh, before God, deserving of judgment. But now I'm at peace with God, and I see him as Father. What, what What a contrast. Go with me to Romans chapter 5 for just a moment. I preached through Romans, obviously, and have camped on this section before. Quit looking at me that way. My family's giving me uh, rolling eyes. I said, but after Paul's condemnation and, and description of sin, some of which we touched on last week, he comes to chapter 5 in Romans, and we have this verse. Therefore, since we have been justified or declared right by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You ever had an enemy? What would it be like to be at peace with them? And we were enemies of God. And he sought us out. And made peace for us. Wow. You go on in that passage. It says through him. We have obtained access by faith. Into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope. Of the glory of God. Paul can hardly contain himself. As he, as he reflects on the fact. That there's been such a change in our life that we went from being enemies of God, standing under the wrath of God, to the place where we're at peace with him. And he says, through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. I painted a picture when we went through this passage, and it's worth talking about here again, because not everybody that's here was there then and we may not have had it on video either 
can imagine standing outside of a, a well-lit house on a cold, rainy, blowing night with no place of shelter for you. But you can see through the windows and in the windows you see into a huge open area and a big roaring fire in the fireplace and it looks so inviting. But you're on the outside looking in. Someone comes to the door, opens the door, and said, would you like to come in? And you go, no, I prefer to stand in the rain. No, we wouldn't do that. We go, yes. And we come in, and where we are is sort of in the vestibule, right? Right inside the door, and the door is closed, and immediately the contrast between the outside and the inside is graphic to us in the sense that we feel the warmth just coming our way and we look down and, and over the stone pavers here in this foyer, we, we see water puddling <laughs> as, it, as, it, as it drips off of us. It would be enough if that was it. That we would go from being outside to inside. And Paul paints this picture and he says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We now have entrance into his presence. We're standing there contemplating. The temperature is rising. We're, the chill is starting to dissipate. Start to feel our fingers and our toes. And we would be content if that was enough. But the owner of the house says, what are you doing? Stand in there. Come on in. And all we can think about is the way we were. Cold, wet, outside. And he says, oh no. Come on in. And as we take a step or two into this large room, there is that fireplace, not seen through glass, but now clearly. And the, and the heat of that warms us even more. And we're drawn to it. And the owner of the house says, I have fresh clothes for you. I have towels you can dry off. And when you're ready, I have food. And about that time, you finally notice, yes, yes, somebody in the kitchen has been cooking. And that smells great. Now, we use that kind of a visual picture, but that's what Paul says here. He says, through him, we have obtained 
access by faith. We have come in now, but it isn't all over. It's only the beginning. All that the master of the house would have for us as we would come into it is yet to be discovered. It is so much more and so more so much more grand than we can imagine. And he says, come on in. This is your place now too. By nature, I was a child of wrath. But now I'm at peace with God. What does he call himself? Father. Most of you know my, one of my favorite <laughs> doctrinal verses is found in Matthew chapter 7 and 11, and it fits so well here. He says, if you then who are evil, and he's talking about dads who, when asked for a, uh, some bread by their son, said, would he give him a stone? Of course not. He says, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? We, are, we have a relationship now with the God who used to be, we used to be at odds with, who used to be our judge, who is now our Father, and he offers to us all good things if we would only ask. And we have the audacity to ask why? Because he's our father. Our father. Like I said, we can camp out right there. But a second point, he says, I have been gifted and placed in the body of believers with Christ as head. It's sort of a twofold aspect here. One, a relationship with Jesus Christ, and another aspect of that is a relationship with believers. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 12, and that's a great passage. He says, but in one verse, but now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. You say, well, what's the significance of that? I don't get it. He says, well, we have a connection now with Jesus Christ that we didn't have before. And he leads us and guides us and directs us. What does your head do? It provides a place for me to put my hat. Obviously not a place to put my hair, but put my hat. It says, no, the, the head gives direction to the body. It takes in all the senses and, and gives direction We would say that the body is malfunctioning. If we should do something like, 
thing my grandson now going to his bedroom barefooted with all those Legos strewn around. And the head says to the, to the feet who are now enduring such pain, oh, just buck up. The body doesn't do that. The head doesn't do that. What does the head do? Say, get off of that. Lift that foot up and try and place it down someplace where you don't find some more Legos. Or back out of here so you don't find some more. You ever step on something sharp? Oh, yeah. What does the body do then? The body forgets any esoteric things you were contemplating a moment before. And now focuses on that sharp thing that's sticking into your foot. And you go, get me out of here. And if you're like most people, whatever foot you stepped on that sharp thing now has been lifted up. And you are hopping around on the other foot. And your, other, your arms are flailing around trying to keep balance because you don't want to fall on your face to uh, make this situation any worse. And you're thinking, what did I just step on? And what did it, and all this happens in moments. All in the direction of the head. And you don't tell the foot, hey, come on now, do your job. No. And the other foot doesn't go, what? You've given me the responsibility of this whole entourage now? Come on, other foot, get to work. Doesn't do that. We've been placed in the body of Christ with other believers, and Christ has said. Ephesians 1.22 says, He put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. You say, well, what, what value is being a part of the body of Christ? First of all, we have a place. We're not orphans floating around doing our own thing. We've been strategically placed in the body of Christ and given a job to minister to one another, to minister on behalf of Christ. Well, like I said, we could spend lots of time there, but next point, he says, I've, given, I've been given the Holy Spirit to guide and empower me. So we see our relationship to the Father and to the Son and now to the Holy Spirit. He guides and empowers me. Again, I am not abandoned. I am not on my own. And what does he tell me? He tells me what's in his word. Listen to what Jesus said in John 16. We recently went through that upper room discourse. And when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. 
And he will declare to you the things that are to come. Not only that, he empowers me to live the life that the head has called me to. He says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and he does, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Going back to who we are. If we look to others to get a view of who we are, we're likely to be discouraged by what they reflect on us. We go to the Word of God and we see these truths. We know we are beloved by the Father. We are directed by the head. We are empowered by the spirit. We've been assigned a purpose to represent him as ministers of reconciliation. Did you realize you were called to the ministry? <laughs> oh, yes. We were called, each one of us called to, to be ambassadors for him and ministers of reconciliation. In Christ Jesus was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Be right with God. By the way, some other minister of reconciliation had a part in bringing us to him too. Well, it all sounds pretty good so far. In this world, though, I will have struggles. Remember, I said that what God is good at, among other things, Telling us the truth. I can't tell you how many times I have talked with people and individuals who have struggled with the idea of having struggles in their Christian life. They think, oh, if I have God going for me and I have the Son who's directing me and the Holy Spirit is empowering me, I shouldn't have any issues. And someone will often come, well, some of the times they come along and they will say those kind of things to you. Do you know what we get out of that? We get this going on within the church. And the church isn't this building, it's people. What goes on is people go, well, I'm struggling, but I went to church on Sunday and I looked around, nobody else seemed to be struggling. I must be the only one who's struggling. And I don't understand how come I can't get victory in my Christian life. And how come I still have struggles here in my Christian life when everybody seems to have it all together and put together and have no issues. The problem with it is 
Everyone sitting around you is thinking the same thing, but they're not going to talk about it either. But scripture tells us the truth. In this world, I will have struggles. If I lived according to the passions of my flesh, at one time before I became a believer, the good news is I no longer, it no longer has dominion over me. Do I still struggle? Yes. But now I don't have to listen to it. I don't have to obey it. I used to. That's the only thing I knew. But now I don't need to. Romans chapter 6, another place where we could camp out. He says in verse 14, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you're no longer in the law, but under grace. Second point, under struggles. I was brought up in and brought into and bought into the world system as an unbeliever. And now, because I've given my life to Christ, it hates me. Before, I was a part of it. Now it hates me. Jesus said this again in that upper room discourse. If you're in the world, the world would love you as its own. And that's the way we used to be. But because you are not of the world, and I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. You go, how could they hate me? I'm such a lovable guy. Well, the difference is I have completely set a different uh, view on the world and different uh, belief system. I have different values. I have different convictions. And the world goes, if you don't fit, you're out. Also, in times of old, I followed my father, the devil. But that's the way it was. But now, I'm in a spiritual battle against him and those like him. I'm in a spiritual battle against him and those like him. This is all part of why I am struggling in this world. I have my old fleshly desires that I'm no longer under dominion, but I still have those desires. I'm in a world that I used to be a part of, but now hates me. And I used to listen only to my father, the devil, and now... I've discovered that he was a liar and a murderer and he stands against me. Ephesians chapter 6. Put on the whole armor of God that may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. James 4. Submit yourself therefore to God. Resist, resist the devil and he will flee from you. You go this has got to be a Baptist church. You guys are talking about hell and devil and things like that. It's got to be a Baptist church. 
No, this is the Bible. This is what the Bible says. So what are we seeing so far? I owe my salvation entirely to Jesus. I have a new relationship with the triune God. But in this world, I'm going to struggle. Doesn't mean I can't be victorious. Just means I'm not going to be free of issues in this life. But also, something that wasn't true of me is now true of me. And I have a hope of the future with God. Didn't have that before. I think Peggy was mentioned in that right at the end of Sunday school today. What happens when we die? Well, I don't know, just into oblivion, I guess. No. We already saw what God said was going to happen, that we would stand before him if we didn't know Jesus Christ as our Savior, and we would be standing in front of the great white throne judgment, and we would be condemned for having never put our hope and trust in Jesus Christ, and we would be sent to the lake of fire but that's not true any longer. I have a future and a hope with God. What does the future hold? Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. There's their joy and peace again. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope when everyone else is in despair you go this is not the end and I know how it's going to end and God promised for me his presence back to the passage that Tom was reading for us in Ephesians it says, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. This is going to happen, folks. What does he say? So that those who were the first to open Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, Paul is talking now to those who are reading this message, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. He says, you have a reason to hope, not because God just said, yeah, you ought to have a hope here. He says, can you give you the Holy Spirit? And what is the Holy Spirit? Guarantee of our inheritance. Guarantee of our inheritance. You know what that means? You ever go to buy a house and put some money down to hold it for you? Okay? That's what he's talking about here says, God has promised you a home in heaven 
And the guarantee is he's giving you the Holy Spirit. If he doesn't come through with a deal, guess what he forfeits? The Holy Spirit. Is he going to do that? That's crazy talk. No. He says the fact that the Holy Spirit has come to abide in the life of a believer is proof that when you perish from this earth, you're into the presence of God. You, we're going to take possession of that. Let me shout hallelujah. Yes. Don't get too radical on me, Amar. <laughs> Colossians 1. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in So as bad as the news was in the message from last week concerning our fallen estate and what we were facing, the good news, and why we call it good news, and why we call it the gospel, is because this good news far, far outshines the bad news about the way we were. This is the way we are if we put our hope and trust in Jesus. Someone may ask me and say, well, what if I don't put my hope and trust in Jesus? Then we go to back to last week's message. We still stand in need of a Savior. We still stand before God condemned and facing eternal judgment. But if we put our hope and trust in Jesus Christ, that's no longer our situation. That is no longer our condition. And the true, accurate description by God of who we are, you have heard in summary. We have a new relationship by faith with Jesus Christ, with the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And while we have Trials and tribulations here in this world. He has promised victory over the flesh, over the world, and over Satan. And ultimately, we are promised his presence for eternity. And that's what's true about you and me. We believe Jesus Christ is our Savior. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you speak truth into our life. It is not a time or a place to be waffling. It is not a time or a place to get this wrong. We have this life, this moment, this breath, to make sure that we are followers of Jesus Christ, that we have put all our hope and trust in Jesus Christ. It is this time that we can take and lay claim to the truths that are found in your word that describe the life of every believer who has done that. And while we are still in the world and still have struggles, we have victories, as we trust in you, we have hope of heaven. And we give you all the praise 
all the worship in the name of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ.